Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chiclet that made us who we are. My name is Karen O'Donoghue, and I'm an author, a journalist, and an unfinished biography of WB Yeats. Joining me is best-selling author and star of the hit TV series, Three Men Went to Mo, Kathy <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wish I had been in Three Men Went, Men Went to Mo, because it sounded, yeah, it sounded very, very interesting. Yeah. So, right. so much of the shows in this um, book sound like they'd be great. Some of them sounded absolutely hilarious because (laughs) I I got into um, Rivals. I'm trying to think when I read it. I mean, when was it? Was it 86? I think it was, yeah, mid-80s it came out. It was mid-80s. And it was, I would have been still in, um, actually, I was just getting into journalism because I would have been finishing journalism college for which I have a certificate. Oh, well. The whole certificate. And, um, but, you know, it was very journalistic. But the, the, the plots in it. I mean, there was one thing called Master Dog, which was finding, you know, cle- the cleverest <laughs> the dog The smartest ever. dog in England. <laughs> the smartest dog in England. And I kept thinking of a thing at the time with Esther Ranson called That's Life, and they had a dog that could say, Sausages. <laughs> so you're far too young for this, but I, I was really into that sort of stuff, but yeah. Wow, it really was then that was the golden age of television. Yeah, you know? re- the generation gay. <laughs> We're fooling ourselves with like... Uh, you know, Succession and Game of Thrones and all this. This was the golden age. This was the golden Oh, no, but Game of Thrones. Oh, my God, it's just fantastic. I only, I only came to the party recently. It is amazing. Anyway, we're not talking about Game of Thrones. We're Winter is not coming. Rivals, yes. yes. Um, what's your relationship with Rivals and with Jilly Cooper? I always loved Jilly Cooper. I remember getting uh, the first, well, not the first, when uh, Riders came out, I remember being given a copy of it by a friend and it was the most amazing thing I'd ever read because it was just so big and beautiful and fabulous and it was about people and there were characters you liked and there were characters you didn't like. And then when Rivals came out, it was it had that journalistic hint and it had among so many heroes and heroines and that is one of the amazing things that, that Jilly does is she creates so many characters. Um, but she had this... Uh, wonderful Declan who is this mm. Irish megastar TV person yeah. and he was just fabulous he was this tall craggy amazing man with a fabulous voice and you can think of so many people who sort of he, he fits but but she created people who were just totally individual and and I just loved it there were just there were so many things going on I'll have to stop using the word so here um, Gilly would be ashamed but when I worked in journalism I interviewed Gilly I was wondering if you had a Gilly story because oh, yes know. we all have our Gilly stories and um, even though my newspaper the Sunday World uh, didn't really have a books page at all at all I wangled my way into meeting her in the Shelburne and she was so lovely and she was wearing a lovely necklace with one of her dogs I think it was Barbara uh, painted on a little necklace around her neck and I'm exactly the way she is about dogs I'm like just totally dog mad animal mad and um, then we are now represented by the same agents and I've met her at a couple of parties now I will only say I have met her and the woman you know glorious Gilly I'm sure she couldn't pick me out of a lineup but it's just she's just so lovely to everyone she was gorgeous to me she was gorgeous to person bringing in the tea she was just the epitome of a beautiful beautiful human being and it annoys me so much when people interview her and then decide that they're going to um, rip her apart because she writes books that lots of people like to read Mm -hmm. and that cardinal sin yeah that's a cardinal sin because if lots of people write to read like to read it it must be dreadful but um yeah rivals just I don't know, just pinged so many bells. And it changed the uh, Rupert Campbell black story a little bit. Yes. 
I know, because up to that, in, in Riders, he was... A sadist, really. Well, he was a sadist and he was a bit of a bastard. So you admired him, but you, you knew he was very, very tough. And suddenly in this book, you see this softer side of him because he begins to fall in love with this beautiful... Uh, and, and of course, this sounds wrong. In, we have just been talking about the Thornbirds, which is a whole other story. Um, he, he falls in love with the sort of 18-stroke, 19-year-old daughter of... Uh, someone with whom he is pitching for an independent broadcast to, you know, to uh, have mm. a TV company. But she is just this wonderful person who is dyslexic and tall and beautiful and is a chef. And it's just, you see him in a different light. And it's so romantic. Yes. In a way that actually Riders wasn't. Like Riders was full of sex, full of horses, full of competition, full of backstabbing yes. and betrayal. But there actually yes. not a lot of romance in Riders because you had um, Rupert and Helen who were just, from the beginning, you know, yes. it's never going to work out. Yes. Tori and um, Gypsy, Jake. Gypsy Jake, yeah, um, who is a marriage of convenience, even though there's a lot of affection there. Yes. Fenella and Dino, you don't really care about. No, you don't really care. I mean, there's yeah. some great stuff there, but you don't. Yeah, you don't. But there's no romance that you would die for. There's no there's no run-to-the-airport romance, and that happens in Rivals, yes. you know? it's just so special. And she writes it in a way that sort of the age is, is not important. So you have lovely Taggy, who originally... She is Declan, this Irish uh, megastar who is a, a yeah. megastar in British TV, and he comes to this Corinium TV in the Cotswolds, and he and his wife Maud, who is to, to him, she is like a Maud gone figure was to Yeats. Yeah, we were talking about Yeats earlier, and she is um, beautiful but utterly uninterested in, in his career. In a way, to set, sort of say, you may be a megastar, but not to me, darling. And so that's how she and holds And that's them. a dynamic I recognise. I've seen in people because yes. you know when you work in the media, yeah. and you know through various, various yeah. you know, important successful people and people whose partners are very deliberately uninterested in their work and uninterested in the fandom that surrounds them. Very common, I think. Do you know what? It's fascinating because she gets people so wonderfully. I think... You know, this whole area of, and I know I keep harping back to this, but the difference between, you know, popular fiction and literary fiction and in, in popular fiction, you know, you, you know people and you see their lives and you, you can fall mm. in love with them as human beings, not as romantic heroes or heroines, but you, you fall in love with them as people. And, you know, with literary fiction, you're perhaps not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be some commentary on life, which, of course... You know, all books, I feel, are a commentary on life, mm. except perhaps the Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> series, which is a commentary on, I don't know, whips, where you get them, how uh, you look, get a room it's a like commentary, that set up. It's a commentary on a things a woman will do to marry into money. That's yes, what the, yes. Fifty Shades isn't about desire or love or uh, kink even, really. It's about what a woman will do for a millionaire. And also how a man should really be getting a lot of psychoanalysis. But that, that's yeah. a whole other story there. Um, but, you know, Jilly's books, she she analyzes people so perfectly. And you, you see it, you know, that there is that perfect psychoanalysis of everyone. Oh. And it's done so beautifully in, in a way that Maeve Binchy always did it. Mm. You know, that way of analyzing people it makes sense. You understand perfectly why they are yeah. doing this thing because the trail right back to the cradle is there. You see the roots of whatever their behaviour is and that is absolutely spectacular. And do you know what? We, we're talking about your literary fiction versus commercial fiction kind of thing and, and not to poo-poo literary fiction because I love it and I love I love both of these kinds of books. Me too. I love them both hugely. Too. But... With literary fiction, you'll often get, you know, a 300-page book that is about one person's struggle through from cradle to grave, whatever. But with a Julie Cooper novel and many other novels like this, you'll get 60 of these characters. And with a single line, like Valerie Jones, I know so much about yes. Valerie Jones that's off the page, you know? You, you do completely. I mean, these, and these wonderful lines, you know, she weighs herself in the morning and she's eight and a half stone on the on the scale and you know Lizzie says you know whatever, and eight of it is ego I don't know it's amazing yeah. I can remember Monica I can remember um, these lines Monica Monica who was a head girl at school and remained so the rest of her life you know yes. it's like I know even if Monica never showed up again I would know who that woman was you, you know you completely do and the skill of that like speaking as a writer I mean I've just written uh, I know this sounds very pluggy but I don't mean it to but you know my my 20th novel and I sit there and I go 
I I can be like so many other writers, you know, seat of the pants. It's like I I know the, the beginning of the journey and I know the middle of the journey and I know the end of the journey. But where it goes from there, it is a complete wow. Who knows? But with Jilly, you feel that she's, and maybe that's why the books take three years to write. And please, they shouldn't really take three years to write. Jilly, hurry up. Um, <laughs> But there is this beautiful plotting, this amazing ability to bring people in. I mean, I imagine in her lovely study at the end of her garden, she must have this spectacular board, or maybe she keeps it all in her head. Mm. I don't know how mm. she... I actually, as a writer, do not know how she I does I would love it. to see... I, I kind of imagine a sort of a, a board full of post-it notes kind of thing, because yes. these threads that just kind of get lost for a while, and you kind of go, has she totally forgotten about that character? And then they'll just weave back in and... And it makes perfect yeah. sense. In a way, it reminds me of J.K. Rowling, um, who's a wonderful person to listen to, the Harry Potter on um, Audible. I'm a great fan of listening to books and I, I listen to it oh I, I listen to a lot of this one actually it's very well done so I, I oh, recommend who, who read it who? no idea but okay. she, she knows what she's doing she does <laughs> She does the voices but you know I was listening to Elizabeth Jane Howard the Cazalet or Cazalet I'm never entirely sure how to pronounce that the Cazalet um, oh how many were there five and um, when I'm listening to that you know that's so beautiful and I'll go over and I'll listen to things again and again and again and then I'll get a new one and I'll plonk mm. that in but at the moment I'm going oh I think I'll listen to, to Harry Potter again and it's you know there are little snippets I'm in the first I'm on the first book now and there's a snippet and you know that that is going to make sense later on and you go yes. that's actually spectacular it is and do you know what actually sorry this is a complete um, sidebar about Harry Potter which we'll never cover on this podcast it's been covered too many places before but I was in a similar situation recently where I was in this kind of holiday cottage and the first Harry Potter was there and I just kind of read it in, in bed one at high speed yes at high yes, speed I know it's so readable um, but you, I remember she got flack years later for kind of post-rationally saying that Dumbledore was gay and been like she said, oh there's no evidence of it in the text literally on page 12 fucking or whatever yeah. um, Harry gets the card from the chocolate frog that yeah. says um, yeah. you know Nicholas Flamel whose partner Albus Dumbledore whose partner of many years yes. Albus Dumbledore and obviously we're led to presume that it's like a magical partner but there's absolutely nothing to say that that it is not just a, a, a lover you know not the case Abs- absolutely I agree with you completely and you know I think that was in the back of her head all along all, all the time I don't think she, I think she has post-rationalised things since but I don't think that was ever post-rationalised no I don't think that absolutely I agree completely so I, I just think there's amazing skill in in you know in writers like this and it just I, I adore them and I, I relish them and, and then sometimes I sit there and I go oh blasted no. I can't do that I should although nowadays it has to be said and we were discussing this before we started taping about the idea of the, the 80s and people discovering package holidays this, yeah. is, this is your wonderful point and going off you know and you need there was no internet there was no Kindle and there were you couldn't get books you know books so you just abroad. had to have the one book and it had to be very long it had to be very long I know and Actually, I remember going on a wonderful trip to Corfu with a friend of mine and um, bringing wild swans. I had wild swans and she had Jackie Collins. And wild swans was just absolutely spectacular. And both my sons have just read it. But um, but I can I can remember wild swans in the way that I can't remember because obviously I finished it and then I had to move on to the Jackie Collins. But um, I, I can't A good remember. way around to do it, actually. Yes, possibly. But I, I, I can't remember Main the course, then dessert. Yeah. And, and, I, and I loved the Jackie Collins, but I wouldn't want to read that again. Whereas, yeah. you know, wild swans, I would... But um, that was it. It, it. They were big books because now books are getting shorter. And in case yes. people are thinking, you know, why is that? Are people, are writers getting lazier? It's just that readers are used to smaller bites. So yeah. we are doing smaller books too. Totally. And now I don't yeah. know if you're on Instagram, but oh, you'll I see. Oh, I love Instagram. <laughs> it's, a, it's a much softer equivalent, isn't it? Yes. Um, but you see people going away with their holiday reading and it's, Five books, yeah. and it'll they'll be you know three centimeters wide. I'm going to bring us back to um, Rivals by just doing a quick plot summary, and then we're going to just have at it with all the various bits and pieces from this book. So, <clears throat> when TV star Declan O'Hara moves to Rutger with his glamorous intellectual family, he is all set to become the celebrity interview of the decade for Corinium Television. He soon butts heads with Corinium's satanic boss Tony Baddingham, <laughs> literally the most bad guy name in the world and his protege the fierce Cameron Cook 
After a rocky start, Tony and Declan part ways as sworn enemies, and Declan teams up with the local show jumping celebrity and Tory MP Rupert Campbell Black to create a rival production company and win Caridium's franchise. Meanwhile, Rupert finds himself slowly falling in love for the first time with Declan's daughter, Taggy, turning over a new leaf in the process. So I think those are the two main plots, but they're obviously affairs galore, betrayals galore, you they know. Are, there are so many hilarious bits that go on. Um, yes, interestingly, I have a very, very early edition of, um, of Rivals, and uh, it's Tony uh, Bullingham. Which mm. I think shades of the with the Bullingham Club in, in Oh, and then Oxford. and she changed it from Bullingham think, to Baddingham. Yes, I, I think so. <gasps> that's I, I have, fascinating. Yes, I think so. That says that says something. And yes, he keeps his office very, 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 very hot, and he frightens people so that when he walks past, they all flatten themselves up against the Hessian oh color, covered walls. I, when I was younger, I used to have you know total recall, and I, I sadly do not anymore. But there, there are lines from books that just ping into my head. But he's, he's you know sort of both. He's ah, I don't know. He's he's a wonderful uh, villain, mm. and he has his. Um, extra, he's having an extramarital affair with this fabulous woman called Cameron, and she's she's sort of voracious and she's tough, but it, really she's a very soft heart. Mm. And he brings her over, and he's having an affair with her. And meanwhile, he is married to Monica, who you know was the head girl and shall remain so all her life. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, there is there is plenty of sex in that. You know, he is allowed into her bed, you know, once a week and apparently gets an enormous thrill out of this. I think there's possibly less actual sex than there is yes. in Riders. Yes. I'm, I'm, it, it tends to be that, like, uh, um, people's first time together is documented very well. Yes. But then after that, it's more like sexual situations. It's like naked playing tennis and... Um, yes, as, as indeed. You know. I mean, we are all permanently, I mean, naked playing tennis. I mean, <laughs> I, I just the other day, I mean, it was only nine degrees. <laughs> Um, I know it was, it was a wonderful, funny hedonism and this marvelous life of these people who have some of them who have money, and then you have the Declan O'Hara family who are all permanently broke, mm, despite being very famous and successful. Being very famous and successful and on the TV, but you know, his wife is always throwing mad parties and going out buying beautiful dresses and saying, you know, this old thing, and uh, <laughs> great, great fun, and um, and the only person who's really making any money apart from. Declan with his interviews with the now uh, working for the now loathed Tony um, Taggy is out doing dinner parties that you know sometimes go wonderfully well and sometimes mm. go dreadfully wrong so there's all that going on then there's a production of The Merry Widow in, involving a vast cast of thousands then there's everything that's going on in Corinium television and then when there is this secret rival bid you get characters in from uh Riders, which is great fun. You, yes, you, know, you, get, you get Billy Lloyd Billy Fox and, and Janie. Janie Lloyd Fox and, you know, you visions of Janie Lloyd Fox sitting down, you know, feeding a baby that is practically breastfeeding a baby that's drinking possibly, you know, neat Bollinger. And, <laughs> and it's funny because as a parent, you're sort of going, that's really, really bad. But at the same time, you can read it in a book and it because it's Jilly, it's, you know, it's not really well, funny. The, this is the thing about Jilly and, and I think... Um, why I think I'll, first of all a lot of women my age are coming to Jilly for the first time like there's oh. the Jilly Cooper book club which is run by Kat Brown and everything and um, I didn't know how delicious she's really coming back and I think the reason why obviously it's the glamour and the sex or whatever but there's become this thing especially with a kind of social media generation or whatever of which I'm a part of um, of like people interpreting characters actions in books as direct as if like representing representing bad characters is um, c- commending that behavior kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So and people taking people's behavior very literally as being like, oh, people people who I'm supposed to like are behaving badly, i.e., cheating on their spouses or whatever. Um, so therefore, the writer must believe that adultery is fine. Therefore, I hate this book. It's a lot of like very um, literal, quite boring ways of interpreting literature, and I think. That's the reason why Julie's coming back a bit because she's someone who just writes like she doesn't give a toss what anyone thinks. Oh, completely. You know? I mean, she she says unbelievable things, and you know, my my point would always be people are very very complex. You can be a wonderful 
marvelously rounded person and you can still have a husband that you cheat on for the wrong reason so yeah. you know and that that happens i think you know life is not black and white is chiaroscuro it's 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 you know multicolored it's it, there is the dark and there is the light yeah and I think she does that so terribly, terribly well. And it's why Rupert Campbell Black is this, like, for for many people, on a par with Mr. Darcy as being one of the great romantic heroes of all time. Because we meet this person, and he is, um, you know, he he's a he bullies like uh, Jake Lovell because of he because yes. he's a gypsy because yes. he sees him as being less than abominable, you know, and he is cruel to horses. He beats horses and oh. then ships them off. These things that are just like unforgivable. And then we see this, we come to love, we, we love him by the end of Rivals, you know. But, but, you know, I think that's a skill of Jilly's writing that you see his redemption, but also it's, it's a, a, a skill of her, you know, basic psychoanalysis because you begin to see that he had a, an absolutely appalling childhood. He may mm. have been absolutely loaded, but he was off, you know, at boarding school from before he could, you know, possibly drink out of a cup on his own. Mm. He always had nannies. His parents were going off marrying other people. They're on their fifth and sixth marriages each. So, you know, he didn't have that basic love. I mean, nanny is a sort of a martinet in a serge uniform. So you see... You know, it's saying that, you know, you can have all the money in the world, but you can still have a pretty crap upbringing. So it's looking at all sorts of people and saying, yeah, I understand why they behaved that way. And I mean, you know, when he beats that horse, Macaulay, in the first book in in Riders, I'm just horrified because... It's a really devastating scene. It's absolutely devastating. And you just want to kill him. And you want him to be to be run over or thrown off the team and forever humiliated. And yet, he always is fantastic with his dogs. I'm not saying, beat horses, be nice to dogs. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying at all, as someone who, who loves horses and, and has ridden, um, not for a while though. But, you know, and I mean, I'm a vegetarian. I don't particularly want anything to be hurt um, except anyone who tries to break into my house and that's the whole <laughs> different ballgame or hurt my children but um, but you 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 learn you you, under, you understand him a little bit more and you see that nobody ever taught him that yeah you don't take out your rage on, on an animal and mm. do you know it's interesting when I was getting ready in the hotel I um, flew over um, yesterday and I was watching Animal Cops Houston oh my god I had to turn it <laughs> off Animal Cops Houston. I can't look at any of the... So are um, the animals cops? Are they arresting animals? Yeah, no, what they're doing is they're... And I've seen it on the thingy so many times, you know, when you go in the skybox, and I've never looked at it. And basically it's, you know, sort of like the, you know, RSPCA, ISPCA, going around, set, you know, prosecuting people for abusing um, animals. Mm. And it's just horrendous. And there are all these fabulous pit bulls that were being used by these criminals and they were breeding them to fight and for example they were breeding white ones because the blood shows really well and white animals that are bred to be white can quite often go deaf or maybe this is just a particular genetic thing of oh i I had to actually turn it off because i was sitting there crying i mean i can't bear cruelty to animals and yet i could eventually because of Jilly's writing and because I could see the redemption of this character, I could understand and go, okay, now I can get that. And that's skill. And the yeah. thing about Jilly is huge skill. And I think she is amazing. And I just want to do that sort of Bill and Ted thing, which is going to be lost on another whole other generation. <laughs> but, you know, we are not worthy. And that is, <laughs> we are not worthy. We are not worthy. And when I'm writing a book and I, and I read a Jilly, I go, oh, my God, I'm a moron. <laughs> Oh, and just the and the level of like it's not even just a um, you know, a keen eye for plots or a you know a good sort of witty phrase here and there. Like this is a woman who's like classical references go deep. Yes, you know, like oh, Catullus, you know, poetry, you know, Yeats throughout. Yeah, Yeats throughout. Exactly. Oh God, the old Yeats, which is just spectacular. I mean, the, the, I have to say, she clearly did have a classical education, and I did not, and I've always tried to sort of make up for it, but I never know how to pronounce Latin. <laughs> Same. Yeah, so this is the problem. Although there's a wonderful line in, I don't know if it's her or somebody else, where somebody says, never tease someone for pronouncing a word incorrectly because it means it, they learned it by reading. Yes. And I think that is so very, very important. 
Um, so I, I would love to know how to pronounce Latin correctly, but I, I, I do try and, and there's just so many wonderful phrases and you want to instantly, actually I've, I've downloaded um, Mythos with Stephen Fry. Oh yeah, I have that at home too. Yes, yeah. I know, I love him, he's wonderful. But, um, you know, to, to, to learn more, isn't life every day is a learning experience. Yeah. I was wondering, I was actually, I know that your first pick was Riders, but we've already done that with um, the lovely Jojo Moyes, and Rivals was kind of a second choice, but I'm actually so glad that you're in to talk about Rivals, specifically because it's very exciting to have a fellow Irish guest to talk about this book in particular, because Irishness plays such a big part in it. The O'Haras are the kind of central, their house, the Priory, um, is the centre of all activity, and it's such a loving portrait of and it's always interesting to see Englishness looking at Irishness, for me anyway. Yeah, no, me too. And and it's beautifully, beautifully done. And you could see, I mean, in her in her acknowledgments, she talks about all the wonderful, you know, uh, she, she describes the BBC as that great, what was it, that great milker of Irish talent. Yes. And it's so spectacular because she talks about, you know, Eamon Andrews and Terry Wogan and... So many other people, the names of whom are are now, of course, escaping my one-time brilliant brain. And it's completely marvellous. And she writes, you know, Declan so amazingly. And she talks about uh, Yeats and Maud Gaughan. So there is this sense that Declan is like Yeats and he he is always in love with Maud Gaughan and his wife is is a a vision of Maud. And he, she can, she can hold him by making sure he is never truly sure of her. And then there is this wonderful, wonderful part at the end where he, he finishes a book and he films it with the spiky uh, production director, Cameron, and they go to um, they go to Lissadell to film. Yes. And it's so amazingly done. It's just... It's, ve- it's very nuanced and it's clearly... <laughs> I always, whenever I see, especially a kind of a posh English writer, which Jilly is, yes. when an Irish character comes up, my back goes up. I don't know if yours does. Because yes. I'm waiting for, waiting for the drunkenness, waiting for the ignorance, waiting for the, especially with this time frame when this was written, waiting for the IRA references. Yes, completely. Which, which she's not beyond doing, but there's this like really, uh, the, I feel like I really know the O'Hara's in that they are, you know, big drinkers, messy, love putting on a party, but fiercely intellectual. Yep. Um, and they just kind of personify everything that Irish people want to be and how they see themselves as well, I think. No, I, I agree completely. And all the, the, the good things about, uh, you know, our wonderful country. And, and yes, I mean, that that brilliance, that storytelling, that humour. I mean, the humour of all the members of the family is completely marvellous. I mean, we, we didn't talk at all about Patrick, who's Declan's yes. son, or Kathleen, who is completely hysterical and has a, like this little witty tongue and oh, so loves dogs. And, and who is... apparently, who Catelyn Moran named herself after. Oh my God, really? So apparently, uh, she was Catherine Moran and then read it at 14 and then renamed herself after Catelyn because uh, obviously she saw herself in this witty goth and, teenager, you know? And I just love Catelyn. Moran I just think she is completely amazing I think she's just this I don't know beautiful fresh breath of life into into womanhood I saw her at a public speaking event um, this summer and she is the Jimi Hendrix of public speaking yeah honestly she can just she's like whatever the linguistic version of playing your guitar behind your back she can do that you know (laughs) but it's fantastic because you know she's brought a whole new generation of people to the concept of of feminism when for so long people thought well feminism oh yeah well that's done you know we got all that and you feel like saying no we ain't got all that actually you know it's like that marvellous picture of a an elderly woman in the states when Trump was elected saying with with her t-shirt saying I can't believe I still have to protest this shit and apologies for using the rude words (laughs) it's no problem at all (laughs) one knows that I never swear (laughs) Sweetness and decency. Sweetness (laughs) and decency. Um, Speaking of feminism, there's a quite interesting iteration of kind of 80s power feminism in Cameron Cook. Um, What did you, what do you make? Because when we meet her, it's very, it's quite a cliche. It's like she's got this kind of short, spiky, gelled hair, kind of sharp features, um, power suits the whole time, shoulder pads the whole time. Like 
snapping at people that she, you know, does, doesn't yeah. need a man, but is, you know, actually quite desperately insecure and lonely. What do you make of that sort of, in the rear view mirror of that sort of stereotype now that it's become a stereotype? Well, I mean, I was around then and I hate uh, shoulder pads and no one is ever going to get me to wear them again. And that appeared to be the only way you could get what you wanted. And I was absolutely useless at, at doing that. And um, I much prefer the, the, the type of feminism where women work together and I'm very into mentorship and women, I don't know, women coming together but yeah that appeared to be the only way you could get it you had to stand on people and Cameron stands on people you Mm. know at a rate of of knots which is but that was absolutely true of the time I mean completely and utterly true of the time it was you know women had to be excuse the expression ball busters to get to the top and they are viewed as such and yet the the main character's don't see that with her. I mean, she's presented as that on some levels, but the main characters they don't they don't see that for some reason. I, I'm explaining this badly. But yeah, no, it's very much. It's kind of um, once everyone gets together for the venturer, which is the yes. name of the TV company. This kind of thing, like oh, you know, Cameron's a pain in the arse, but she's all right. Kind yeah, of. Yeah, we, we're all equal. So. Yeah. Jilly isn't looking at it that way. Her own vision of it isn't yeah. that way. She had, because, you know, she had worked in journalism and she had obviously come to her own conclusions about... Yeah, she's sympathetic as to why Cameron is the way she is yeah, while still being it. like, this person is yeah. hard work. Yeah, you because know? you, you know, you had to work twice as hard to, to get to the same place. And mm. sometimes even if you worked twice as hard, you still didn't get to the same place. And I lived through that, so... Yeah, I, I, I can understand her. I, I may have, you know, gone in with sort of a leather jacket on occasionally to sort of look a bit like, OK, I'm tough today. It, it never lasted, yeah. though. I, I yeah. just... And really, that didn't... That as a concept doesn't work. It's that inner belief and that sisterhood. Yeah, that works. Mm. It's very much, like, in the way that kind of sort of very 80s corporate capitalist espionage kind of thing is very much a book of its time. And it's, what, what also sort of makes it a book of its time is that there are repeated and quite jarring mentions of AIDS. <laughs> Have yeah. you, did you notice that when you were reading it? Of yeah. like people being like, yeah. there's a bit where Rupert goes and gets an AIDS test and, yeah. he comes and he's like so relieved. And it's like, it's not like, ha ha, I thought I might have AIDS. It was like genuine, like I was worried for a minute there. But that was a huge, huge thing as someone who, who lived throughout the time because it was enormous. I mean, when I worked in journalism, we, you know, did big surveys on HIV. We had big, you know, newspaper pullouts on HIV. It it Mm. was absolutely massive. And, you know, it was the big fear because for so long, you know, going through the sort of the history of Ireland, it was, you know, pregnancy. Then it, you know, there was for a while, there was the worst thing that could possibly happen to you was, and I'm not making this up, herpes. Mm. And, um, and then suddenly AIDS, this absolute plague. And I've just been watching, um, I'm fascinated by science, and uh, I was supposed to go to the Congo with UNICEF last year, but I ended up through personal circumstances not being able to go. But, you know, um, Ebola has killed roughly 11,000 people in the last couple of years in the uh, DRC area and in Western Africa. And this program, The Hot Zone, is all about the discovery of Ebola and looking at all these viruses that are growing and learning. And HIV was one of them. Mm. But because it was so often affecting, you know, affecting people who were intravenous drug users or gay people, it was seen as, well, that's their problem. We don't have to worry about it. But Ebola is, you know, (laughs) affects everyone. Mm. in, in the context of this novel, it's like, what's interesting about it is that it feels like the end of the party is coming. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'd be like, we've had these kind of hundreds and hundreds of pages of people just jollily getting off with each other oh, and whatever. Yes. And there's this real fear of being like, okay, everyone's been getting off with everybody else's wife and husband for ages. Like, can we do this anymore? You know? No, there is that. And I don't think, does anyone ever get a condom out? Never. No. Never. It's just a question. Oh, no, the teenagers do. There's a damn um, yeah Archie and Caitlin. Yes, and they, they get they, yes they get they get a condom out, but but nobody else does because it's like you know we can just do whatever we want. So 
and you can see how, obviously I disagree with this, but you can see how some desperately right-wing fundamentalist Christians were going, now you see what happens yeah, when yeah. Sodom and You Gamara. can understand why they felt they had that leg to stand on. You know? Yes, exactly, when you really want to say, actually, you know, if you go into the bat cave in, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, Zaire, that's probably where it came from, you know, it's not a, it wasn't sent by God at all. But yeah. Yeah, it is, it is interesting, it's a whole different world, you know, pregnancy isn't, the big fear. There's something, something much yeah. bigger and more dangerous out there. Um, Julie Cooper gets an awful lot of criticism sometimes that she, in her books, anybody who is kind of seen as sort of nouveau riche or an upstart or whatever, um, is given a very shoddy treatment and is always a kind of ridiculous, quite an almost quite sad character, and they're often quite mean spirited. And Valerie Jones is a yes, she example. epitomizes that. Yeah. Epitomizes that. But reading it and knowing that criticism of Cooper, I felt very like it's not that Julie Cooper hates the nouveau riche; it's that she hates anybody who's pretending to be something they're not. Yes, I think she exactly she hates two facedness yeah. really because you know we have Declan O'Hara who's whose family are supposed to, his father came from a sheep farm in, in Wicklow and then yeah. his mother came from Cork. And there was a part of me that did think, that was a little tricky now geographically. How did they meet? But anyway, <laughs> um, but, you know, they they came from, his, his ability to become something different was uh, his talent. It was nothing to do with money or ancestral pictures mm. or anything else. So that was fabulous. And and Freddie Jones, yes. this marvellous character. Now, yes, the one thing I... Sometimes I... When people accents are used I don't like that I, I that yes. that's one thing I, I don't like I am accents. the exact same so how do you treat accents in your work I don't I don't do accents mm. because I think it's just unfair it's like you it's, know, I think it's patronizing it's condescending it, yeah, it, and it also assumes that the sort of received English pronunciation of things is the right way of speaking and everything else is a deviation yes completely so I don't do accents so you know it's it just seems wrong to do it and i don't i don't it can be you know the way she does it it can be terribly funny but you know freddie jones it's sort of that jars slightly with me mm-hmm. and i and i don't like that but i think that is very much of the time when you when you write it's like keith waterhouse wrote a book called bimbo which was absolutely hilarious oh god i don't know 80s 90s and it was about a in fact even the name bimbo mm-hmm. so it is this version of a you know totally fiction page three sort of model girl who is suddenly catapulted to fame because she had a fling with some I don't know I can't remember he's an MP or he's a desperately rich man and it all comes out and it's so this is her story but it's written all in sort of the in patois or you know and dialect yes and it and it's it's terribly funny but, it, you know, I look at, we'll say... Um, it's quite different than when you see, like, Irvine Welch doing the same thing because yes. he's of that community. Do you yes, know he's, I mean? exactly. So you can do it then, but I just don't think it works otherwise. And yet then I look at Anita Luce, who wrote, you know, um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, yes. and you've got Lorelei, and, and, and she doesn't I'm just trying to remember she doesn't well, write it's, it's diary entry so it's yes. written in a way that yes. someone like that would write but yes. that's kind of a judgment in itself isn't it yes I know it's quite hard to know where the to know where the line know? is I, I don't know I don't know where the line is it comes is. down to comfort when you're reading it and if you feel like there's a nastiness of intent there whereas yes. I feel like Lorelai is quite a, quite an affectionate portrayal oh, of just, a really ridiculous person you I know? know but like a darling and you just love her and she's just but just silly yeah. and, and, and like literally kills people yes completely <laughs> but just deliciously silly and you know you, you completely love her but that's uh, yes that that sort of dialect thing would be the only thing I I yeah. don't like in, in Jilly but um no, I do think she's marvellous. But you know, a couple of years ago, somebody went out to her house and did a huge interview and Jilly was lovely and had her in her house and, you know, cooked lunch for her mm-hmm. and fabulous to her. And then the most savage piece was written about really? this. And I found myself thinking, you know what, that, that's really just sort of, let's see, who will we take a hit on today? I, I find that very annoying. Yeah. 
you know, it's like it's like giving a book to review to somebody who is going to loathe and abhor it and is just going to eviscerate the person. Yeah. I say, really, why do that? Why I've, do I've that? Had, yeah, I, have you ever had that experience with the review where you felt, where you looked at the reviewer and being like, well, that was the kind of person that was never going to buy this book anyway. Oh, so yeah, why oh, would yeah. you give that? I've had that once or twice where I've like... Oh, yeah. Oh, completely. And you just sort of go... Actually, the great thing about having written so many books is you just get to the point and you go, ah, whatever. Maybe yeah. they were having a bad day. Maybe they are full of rage. Maybe they have a novel in a drawer. Um, and, and you just have to move on because, yeah. they, you know, you still want to give them time in your head because that's really like, you know, what's that old thing about poison, you know? Uh, revenge is like making poison and drinking it yourself. Yes. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, to get back to the, um, the main like romance of the book, the sort of Taggy and Rupert thing, and we, we talked about the kind of problematic age gap or whatever. But for, I, again, one of those things, I just wasn't, it just didn't bother me at all. And I think... I think possibly because what was very interesting about it and you have this character Taggy who's this wonderful person who likes to look after people and it also has that kind of foisted on her by her sort of mad irresponsible family who can't really read um, because of dyslexia and, and I imagine other learning difficulties by the sounds of it. Dyspraxia or whatever, yes. Yeah. And um, meeting this man who is so kind of worldly and so has been everywhere and has kind of had this very intellectual first wife and now has this very intellectual girlfriend and feeling like she can sort of never compete. And that's, I I kind of love the idea of like, after seeing so many kind of sparky women quoting Shakespeare and like (laughs) knowing Bach to be just this woman who just like, it it feels very sort of counter feminist or whatever to be like, she's just someone who loves animals and loves being at home and wants to look after people. For her to be the romantic hero again feels like, it's like quite, I don't know, it feels like a kickback to another time, but also felt quite modern, you know? But you know what, it was modern. I I think in a way it just worked, and I could be totally wrong here, for the story she had to be a certain age. I often feel that when I read it, in that she had to be a certain age, and yet she had worked in somebody's restaurant in Soho for two years. Yeah, so she'd been kicked out of school. She'd left yeah. school at like 15. Yeah. So she'd already lived a life of sorts. Yeah, so she had. So And this guy said, look, I can't teach her anymore. And, you know, she could be the next Escoffier. So obviously she has, you know, plenty of experience in this world. But in this other world that her family lives in, this intellectual world, she is, you know, a, a fish out of water. But it doesn't mean that she is in any way lesser. stupid. Yeah, yeah or, or lesser. Um, and I think it just worked that she had to be that age to fit in with the plot and the age of Declan and Maud and the other kids. So I, I often think that was that was a part of it. And therefore, the, the fact that there is this 19 year age gap, which makes Rupert go away and go, I can't possibly do this because she's, you know, far too young or whatever. But I don't feel you don't feel the sense that she is actually a true 18 yeah. or 19 year old. You actually don't feel that. Because I, I think... Because she's called the adolescent mother. So she's sort of yeah, like looking yeah, at Yeah, so her. she has been the one who has been the grown-up all along. She has mm-hmm. basically raised her younger sister. Mm-hmm. So and she's getting ready, her ready for school every yeah, term. Yeah, she all gets this. her ready for school. She does all this stuff. So, so she's the person who's been the parent in so many parts of the family. So she's not your average 18-year-old. So I don't think it's harking back in that way. But somebody says something marvellous in, in the book in that 
you know, actually what Rupert needs is some woman who's going to think he's amazing and fantastic because he's he's really streetwise, but he's not an intellectual because mm. he, you know, wasn't interested in school, wasn't interested in, you know, the classics and, uh, you know, keeps pronouncing, yeah, you know, Yeats, Yeats. And, um, and she doesn't know how to pronounce it either, but, which probably does because of her father. So... You know, it works well together. And what's lovely is that there's this thing at the end of the book, which is a spoiler, but um, where there's like a tell-all printed about him in the paper about all his many affairs and all the terrible things he's done. And she sort of shows up at the airport and she's like, I can't, I can't read them. Yeah, I know. It's and it's kind of so it's lovely. <laughs> it, no, it just works. And she's written his name incorrectly. Phonetically, yeah. It's phonetically because she doesn't know. And it's just... It's just absolutely spectacular. And she's not without her, her admirers, and there are plenty of them because she is very, very beautiful. And you just get a sense that, yes, that, you know, this is this is meant to be. And yeah. I don't know if I think it's a throwback to, to you know, I mean, she's not, she's not Lizzie Bennet, mm. but she's strong, very strong in, in her own way. Her only, her weakness is perhaps her heart, having broken because she thinks he has gone off her but I think um, loving animals desperately I think there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong at all there's nothing wrong with that I mean I I put the spiders outside I mean if there was any sort of cockroachy thing okay that'd be dead but um, yeah no I I put the spiders outside and do all that sort of carry on and and write beetles you know there's you know do you know those little beetles that look very bluey and you sometimes see them and and I sort of twirl them over and they line their backs. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I sort of twirl them over and go, off you go now. Off you go now. And it's just sort of cute because we need them. We need them. And I pet bees as well. You People, pet them? Well, you know, you see them and they're, they're there, the lavender or the, you know, the catmint and you just get them and you can just give them a little pet on the back because they know. <laughs> I mean, they have such a, their ability to sense pheromones and they know I'm not, you know, a, a dreadful um, threat to them and... And we need them. I mean, because you're like Saint Francis of Assisi. Oh, like, sure, this is me altogether now. <laughs> living in yes. a cave. N- living in a cave. I know. Well, my brother is called Francis, but uh, yes, I, I, I love them. Yeah, but as I said before, d- d- you can keep the cockroaches away. I don't like them. Can I tell you my one pet peeve about Ooh. about animals in Jilly Cooper? And I mean, it's happened in both books now. Jack Russells are never named. <gasps> Have you noticed that? That is true, actually. So I'm... Yes. I have Jack Russell. I'm crazy about her. Her name is Sylvie, Jilly. And she always says, um, Beaver the Nurture yes, or yes, Blue the Thing. Blue. And then several and then several Jack Russells. I'm like, name the fucking Jack Russells. Do you know what? I'm with you on that as a woman who has three Jack Russells. Um, and what are their names? Their names are <laughs> Licky, Dinky and Scamp. And Lovely. They are my little darlings, and um, I am their 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 pack mother, and they they lie on me and <laughs> at night, and it's very hard. So I sometimes have to say, can someone change the channel because I have dogs on me? Oh my! Well, you've heard that famous quote from yeah. Jilly's husband, haven't you? Yes, yes. What does oh, your wife wear to bed? Dogs, <laughs> mostly. Yes, yes. I love that. It's just fantastic. Oh yeah, no dogs. They're, so what would we do without our animals? Our our fur babies, be it. Dogs, cats. I'm a godmother to two hamsters. One of my nieces has hamsters, so what I'm a godmother. Honor. What privilege! I know they're gorgeous. Actually, this is a this is the second time I've been a godmother to a hamster. Not everyone appreciates hamsters, but no, I, I don't. No, I, every time we always try to smuggle kind of rodent adjacent pets into the house, oh, and my can. dad would always kill them. Yeah, but you, you see, a lot of people to them they're just rodents, and also yeah. you, you couldn't you couldn't have them. With um with Jack Russell's because you know that you'd need a, a defibrillator for dogs or for yeah. for, for you know ro- the, the little rodenty things and I don't think they come in that size. So what does um what how do you function as a godparent to a hamster? Do you well you you send you send there two of them and you send them lovely little you know extra wheelie things and yolks <laughs> and 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 food and nice things. Amazon is Amazon is amazing. Amazon. It's mostly about being a spiritual guide to them, though. I think a isn't spiritual it? guide <laughs> and going. I think this is wonderful because right now you can't have a dog, so you need to have something to love and adore. And I get that. I get it too. I just want to move out of London so I can just have a home for retired terriers. You know, oh, that's yes. all I want to do. I just, I, I don't really want to have children. I just want to be someone who just is constantly loading six dogs in and out of a car. You know, I know, but that's completely beautiful because <laughs> we show parenthood in so many ways. You know, where is this thing coming from that says you must have 
children. Not everyone wants children, and for some people, their their beautiful animals are rich. I had a, a beautiful Labrador called Tams, and she was my familiar. And right. I, you know, and I say that, and anyone with a problem with that, go look it up, and then come back and talk to me about it. Um, yeah, my my beautiful baby. I still haven't grieved her totally because I think I would just break down totally yeah. for about four months. But yeah, they're just beautiful. Ever, since I was three, we had dogs, and they've always been my my special friends. Dogs. dogs. <laughs> Rivals. Dogs. Rivals. Well, they're very intertwined. They're <laughs> intertwined. Jilly loves her, her animals, and that comes through. And, you know. and I, I do love that um, when Cameron leaves Rupert at the end, she takes Blue. She takes Blue, you see. They're always there. Yeah. So before we start crying about dogs, um, uh, you've got a wonderful new book out called The Family Gift. Tell me a little bit about it. Oh, so far I've been I've been resting my, my coffee and my bracelets on it so I wouldn't rattle too much. I know um, it is the story of actually people keep saying somebody said yesterday I was my heroine is uh, very tall and has naturally blonde hair and is a fabulous cook. And people keep saying, is, is this now a bit of wish fulfillment? Because <laughs> I am five foot. My hair is quite dyed. And um, I, I'm, I'm writing a character at the moment who's sort of a former model and oh, glamour girl, and I was like, mm, wish fulfillment. <laughs> but we we do. You see, that's it. And people say, is it a real person? And you go, no, it's just the person I might like to be. <laughs> yeah. And then when I talk about how I can't cook, people, well, no, I I do. I mean, I cook all the damn time. I mean, because I have a husband and I've got two sons, and I mean, you know, at least with the dogs, it's quite easy to do the dog food. Oh yeah. But um. You know, it's it's just every day. If it was just me, I think I'd just live off cheese sandwiches. But um, anyway, so we have beautiful Freya, and she is, well, she's not beautiful, but, you know, she's interesting, and she wouldn't be into the makeup much, and she's sort of a big blast of eyeliner, so she looks like she didn't take it off from the night before, and she ties her hair in a plait. And she, I got, actually, I got great advice from the lovely Catherine Fulvio, who at the time was nominated for an Emmy on daytime TV. And I'm an Emmy! For God's sake, sure, I would be delirious. Um, now, sadly, she did not win, but there are beautiful pictures of her all glammed up. So, um, anyway, Freya has moved into this new house, and her husband is Dan, but he was married before, and his first wife, Alyssa, and he had a baby. And Alyssa... They split up and Alyssa got the baby, Lexi, and um, she was a pretty appalling mother and so she still thought she was a sort of an it girl, if that is still an expression, possibly not. Mm-hmm. Fabulous girl around town and eventually, you know, left the, uh, the baby behind in a restaurant. So at that point, Dan and his new girlfriend, Freya, stepped in and said we're going to raise the child and she is then adopted by Freya so Freya now has three children one of whom is Lexi something bad happens to Freya and she's dealing with that Alyssa the ex-wife comes back and sort of says I want to see my little girl again Mm. who is 14 um, and and is interested in now this sort of glamorous you know woman who we can all see you know possibly should be hit over the head with a big book but you know, to a 14-year-old seeing someone, you know, an adult with a, an Instagram account and, uh, you know, a, a deal to um, sell fake tan, she seems very exciting. Mm. And then there's lots of trauma going on in um, Freya's family of origin. So it's all falling apart and Freya is the person who minds everyone. So she can't tell what's really going on in her heart because of this incident that happened to her and it's about how she copes and it's about letting go perhaps not always trying to be Mm. the one in charge and what happens when she gets stuck and she can't write any more recipes and watching her beloved daughter sort of move away from her and um, yeah, and she has an inner voice called Mildred. Yes, I was wondering when you were going to bring up Mildred. Yeah, you see, Mildred seems like a, such a part of life, really. I mean, I, I think everyone must have a Mildred, that inner voice that says, you know, you're not really going out in that, are you? Or, or you know, mm. that article is dreadful. You just moron. Or, you know, no one's going to like that book. Really, they're going to say that book is dreadful. And um, so she, her inner voice really kicks up a notch with this incident and... Mildred, you know, she thinks giving the name, the inner voice, uh, the inner critic, a name will sort of lessen the power, but not really. But she mm. can talk back to her, you know, and she can say, Mildred, shut up. And um, 
it's it's fun. It's different in that it's written in the first person, and I've never done that before. Have you not? No, I haven't. I've always written um, in the third person. So, and what are you finding are the challenges of that, or were the challenges of that? It was much easier. It was fantastic. Yeah. Although I used to sort of get stuck on tense occasionally. But, um, okay, so I'm doing the other way around at the moment. I've done oh. two in for, I've written three novels okay. in first person, and now I'm doing the fourth one in third person, okay. and I'm finding the tenses a nightmare. It's just a switch. But yeah. You get used to it. I keep going from like uh, yeah. third person past to third person present, and it's just, oh, I'm, I feel like I'm back in school, honestly. My confidence is shot from it. No, well, I was exactly the same. And you'd be there going, what? And you'd read the bit, and you go, I must be a complete moron. The, the word moron comes into my sentence a lot. I, I sort of self castigate. I used to have a system whereby I'd write a bit on my computer. And I go, that's dreadful. And then I would, you know, delete it. Now I just think it and I... It's much know, more... Yeah, yeah, it's much more... Economical. Economical to do it that way. So um, so that's it. And there's there's a lot of humour in it. Uh, Marion Keyes was saying to me, she said, your emails are hysterical. She said, you know, I'm not getting enough of that in your in, in this book. And I said, right, there's to be more of me. So oh, that's a, a great sort of challenge to get, though. I know. If you're I, already a funny person. I know. I, I, I love Marion and she's so she's good. She's wonderful. She's wonderful. So um, there we are now. So yeah. that's, that's the new book with added added madness and fun. It's like about what all my favorite things are about, which is people who are just trying their best. <laughs> yeah. You know. And That's failing. my favorite genre, you know what I mean? Yeah, me too. And and failing a lot of the time and and maybe not failing, but you know, being held yeah. up to mad standards and and it's also about the fakeness of social media because she because she's a TV chef she feels she's going to be doing this and doing this it's yeah. fabulous woo you know cooking and that's very analogous to the sort of life of the author isn't it really of having to be oh. like everything I do is fabulous please go buy the book yeah. all good bookshops now la 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 yeah, yeah. inside you're like this is a piece of shit yeah, because I wrote it now I'm a piece of shit completely <laughs> and, and then then followed up by actually now I have to go to Tesco's and uh, that's why wearing glasses it's pretty this is individual people can see I have sort of big dark glasses. They're lovely. Um, They're fabulous though because it means that really you don't need to wear a lot of makeup. Now I am wearing a lot of makeup today but you don't need to wear a lot of makeup because the, your eyes are so hidden so they're brilliant. Right. And um, it, it's, it's it's fantastic so I can just whack on the glasses you know fluff uh, you up feel, the hair It gives you a, a sense of a sort of authority and presence. A, a sense of authority and presence exactly yeah. and bit of lip gloss I'm out the door down to Tesco's to buy a Fair. toilet roll you know so like the life of glamour is just me well the first time I met you was extremely glamorous do you remember when we met this was at the book awards yes the Irish book awards and you yes. and I remember you came up to me because we were both wearing suits yes yes and, and see I love wearing a suit I, lo- I feel so powerful when I'm in a suit I feel like Cameron Cook <laughs> I, I completely and I've decided that I'm not going to wear a dress to any more of these things me I'd neither say, that's it and I've started following this, this wonderful thing on Instagram called The Cut and they're based in Belfast and they make suits and I keep going one of these days I'm going to go up because I am you know short and I occasionally buy those uh, bras for you know decreasing the size of your bazoo. Yes, yes. Next, yeah. do a brilliant one. Yeah, next, do they do next? A good do one? a fantastic strapless <gasps> um, bra. Yeah, for for big boobs. Suck them all in. Yeah. Okay, and you see, so it can be quite you know tricky to get the the proportions right. So keep thinking. I'm going to go up there one of these days uh, when a nice big check comes in and I'm going to say, I want a suit that makes me feel powerful and marvellous and then I'm going to wear it till it falls off. And yeah, that's Yes, it. that is so also suits. my dream. Suits. And then you came up to me because I had just, um, I just lost an award. I know, I know. So and you came up to me and you just like spread your arms out in your beautiful suit and you're just like, they never give me anything either but I'm laughing all the way to the bank. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> Oh my God. What a flipping legend. I'll cut that out if you don't like it, but I was yes. like, what an absolute G. But do you know what? And we can cut this out too. I've never won. I've been going to those awards for possibly 18 years. Never won anything. And do you know what? It's like, do you know what? Asher. It's Asher. Asher. And do you know what? It's fabulous because you get to meet the lovely people. I mean, it's so glorious. And I love meeting new, young, wonderful writers. The number of new, young, wonderful writers I've met. And then we have emails. And we and I'm always saying, I must get emails. And I must get your email. Oh, lovely. Um, just so, you know, we can talk. Because, like, we are... God, we are powerful. We're a lot. We really? should leave it there because that's a fantastic place to leave it. Uh, thank you so much, Kathy Kelly. You are a fabulous guest and one of the most entertaining people I've ever met. And I would listen to you talk about bees all day. <laughs> 
blathering. I'm a desperate <laughs> blatherer, as they say at home. I think they tune out. Thank you so, so much, Caroline. The family gift, everyone get it. It's a bloody delight. Thank you, and so are you. This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.